All right, we'll open to Colossians chapter 1. Back in it tonight. So it's, it's funny to see the difference between uh, students the first four weeks of the fall and then the last four weeks of the spring, because I, I don't know if you realize that there's four weeks left until finals. So I know you're excited about that, but it's so funny to see the difference because if I could, uh, if I could <laughs> explain it like just through action, like what it looks like, the difference is, is in the fall when you come in to school, it's, it's so fun, especially the freshmen, because uh, they're, they're all like got this pep in their step, you know, they're just, you know, walking all jolly, you know, around campus, really excited. But then you come to the last four weeks of the semester and it's more like everybody's just kind of on the ground, just, you know, it's like they got shot in the legs and they're just dragging themselves because they're, you know, in pain and agony. They suffer through these last few weeks of school. But it's, it's funny because you come in, you come into the semester, you're, t- you're totally organized. Uh, like you actually try to dress decent um, and, you know, your, your, your stuff is washed at least because your mom washed it before you left for school. And it's somewhat, you know, not totally wrinkled. And uh, you have your books for your class that first semester. You're organized. You, you actually like go to class and wake up in the morning. Uh, but then the last four weeks of the, of the spring semester, it's totally different. Uh, it's funny talking to students this week. Every, every single student I talk to this week, they're like, uh, I'm like, hey, how can I pray for you? And they're like, dude, just pray for me to get through these last four weeks. I'm, I feel like I'm dying in here. Um, y'all are shaking your heads, yes. Uh, but it's so, it's so funny because the last four weeks, it's the complete opposite. Like you, you don't even, some of you like even question whether or not you care to put clothes on before you go out. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you girls and guys really, you know, the, the first few weeks of, of the fall, like you're actually kind of concerned about impressing the people uh, around you because like girls, you're like, hey, maybe this is the year. I'm going to meet the guy. We're going to get married. <laughs> Springtime, ring. Uh, and, and guys, honestly, you know, you're thinking somewhat the same thing. Like, man, I'm going to have my swagger and I'm going to get me a girl. Uh, but by this time the semester, if it ain't happening, you're like, man, pff, forget it. I'm just going to go. And, uh, and like, you don't even know where your syllabus is for your classes. You don't even know when your classes are. Forget the alarm. You're not going to class. Uh, it's bad. And how many, how many seniors do we have in here that are actually graduating in May? Give me a, okay, we got a few of you. Um, it's way worse for the seniors. Like, like you freshmen are like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. I promise you it's going to get worse. Seniors are really struggling. I'll just tell you, my senior year of college, me and my roommate, <laughs> our spring semester, we had this one stupid class. I still don't understand the point of it. It's called Senior Seminar. We had to read three books and write three papers. They were like five to six pages each. And uh, so the, the, the first two books, I don't even remember what they were, uh, but we wrote our papers, got them done. But it came to that last book, and, and me and Chad, we both, uh, we both chose the book Physics of Baseball, uh, and we decided on the front end, we aren't even going to get the book. Forget getting the book. Uh, we'll just write a paper. And so I actually just talked to him. He finally, I called him earlier to see what he, I couldn't remember what he wrote his paper on. Um, I remember what I wrote mine on. Uh, again, we didn't even get the books. We, we, didn't even, we don't even know what the book was about, uh, Physics of Baseball, I guess. But uh, I wrote my paper on how much I loved Nolan Ryan growing up and how I collected like over 100 baseball cards of Nolan Ryan. And I wrote a, I wrote a big part of the paper, paper about his fight. If you know anything, do y'all even know who Nolan Ryan is? Please say yes. Okay, good. Rangers fans. Uh, I, I wrote a big part of the paper about his fight with Robin Ventura. And uh, how physical it was, physics, physical fight, I don't know. Uh, and then Chad, he wrote, I, I, thought, I can't remember what he said, I just talked to him. He said he wrote his about how, I don't know, people hit more home runs in the Rockies or Colorado because air thinner or whatever. I guess his was kind of actually about physics. He's way smarter than me though. So. But, but, but the point of all this is I know we're at the point in the semester where we are totally exhausted. And, and some of you feel like you are writhing in pain and suffering and agony because of what you're going through in school. And so I, that, that's why I think what we're studying tonight is, is so perfect. Because in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, I, I think there's two words that you will connect with if for no other reason because we have four weeks left in the semester and you're struggling. Uh, honestly, I think every single one of us in this room 
will connect with these two words for many other reasons, but if for nothing else for that reason. And so read Colossians 1.29. It says this. Paul's writing. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now I want to point out these two words. Um, the, the first one is toil. The second one is struggling. And uh, in Greek, the word for toil is kopiao. I want everybody to say kopiao. <laughs> Sounds like karate terminology or something like that. Kopiao. Um, actually, I feel like it'd be more like a kopiao, you know, a spin move, but kopiao. And, and it, means, it means, that's the word for toil. And it means to get tired or it means to exhaust yourself doing something. Kopiao. The second word, struggling, in Greek is the word agonizomai. Everybody say agonizomai. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that word sound at all familiar? Agonize or agonizing. This is where we get the word agony from, from agonizomai, struggling. So, so what, what you're hearing is Paul is exhausted and he's in agony. And he says, for this I toil and struggle. And I want you to know up front where we're going to land at the end of the night. The reality is, all of us in this room are probably tired. All of us in this room are probably exhausted for some reason or another. All of us in this room are probably expending a bunch of energy. The question, though, is this. What is it that you're working so hard for? What is it that you're exhausting yourself on? What is it that you're expending so much energy doing? And the bigger question is, why? Why is it that you are working so hard for that thing? Why is it that you're expending so much energy in this area? And so that's where we're going to land at the end of the night. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't really listen to the radio much, but this past few weeks, uh, I, every time I get in my car, I turn my radio on because I, I, I want to see if the song's on. I, I love the song Thrift Shop. Uh, <laughs> The clean version, of course. But I, I love the, thr- the, the, the song Thrift Shop. Uh, two reasons. One, I love the beats. And uh, it makes me want to dance in my car. And I've been told, I've been told I'm a good car dancer. Uh, I have a feeling that's because, uh, which I am, y'all. Uh, I have a feeling, don't laugh at that, that's true. I have a feeling that it's all because it's just upper half. You throw the, the, the lower half into it, and that's when it gets dangerous and out of control. But I, I like the beats of, of the thrift, or thrift Shop, whatever the stupid song is called. But, but also, I love the part that goes... Uh, I wear your granddad's clothes. I look incredible. Uh, I'm in this big, uh, clean version coat. And then uh, it goes on to say, from the thrift shop down the road. I love that part of the song. But I love the song. So here's what I do. When I get in my car, uh, I, this, the past few weeks, I, I turn my radio on almost every time. And I start searching through the radio stations that might actually have the song playing, just to see if it's on, because I love the song. Uh, and so what I've done is I've programmed my radio stations to where I've got the ones that are most likely to play the song. Like I got uh, 106.1, Kiss FM, and then I've got uh, K104, uh, and uh, then I've got uh, 105.7, which mostly plays baby-making music, but sometimes they'll play Thrift Shop. <laughs> and then I have 102.9, and then some of the other ones. And so I get in there, and I kind of search through, see if I can find it. If I, if I find it, then, you know, I'll I, I break a few out in my car while I'm driving. Um, but, but the other night, I'm, I'm searching through, trying to find the song, and I couldn't find the song. Uh, but I, I flip it to K104, and uh, there's this other song playing, and I, I, heard, I heard the beats, and I was like, that sounds pretty cool. Um, and it was this new song by Rihanna uh, called, called Pour It Up. And I have no idea what that means. That could be really bad. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, where I came in on the song, where I came, I've, I've got the lyrics here. Uh, when I, where I came in on the song, and I clearly didn't come in at the beginning, or I would have shut it off probably right away. But, but I, where I came in on the song, here's what, here's what she was saying. She's saying, uh, throw it up, throw it up, uh, watch it all fall out. 
pour it up, pour it up. Uh, that's how we ball out. Throw it up, throw it up. Watch it all fall out. Pour it up, pour it up. That's how we ball out. 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 Uh, which I'm, I'm hearing this thinking, I don't even know what that means, but this sounds so cool. And, uh, but then she goes on and, uh, and she, and I apologize. That's like bad. And I just said it during a sermon, but, but so then she goes on, she, she says, she says, valet costs a hundred bill. I still got my money. Gold all up in my grill. I still got my money, which at this point I'm thinking, okay, there, apparently Rihanna and I have absolutely nothing in common because <laughs> the valet would have put me under. Uh, but then she says, who cares how you haters feel? And I still got my money. Call Jay up and close the deal. Uh, I, who's Jay? Well, I don't even know what that is. Uh, I still got my money, my fragrance on, and they love my smell. I still got my money. She sings a bunch of other stuff. She says, I'm going dumb with all my friends. I think that's something bad. Uh, I still got my money. And then she says, oh, all I, see, all I see is signs. All I see is dollar signs. Oh, money on my mind, money on my mind. So, so anyways, like I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, so thrift shop I can relate to. Uh, apparently Rihanna and I have nothing in common. So I changed the channel. So when I changed the channel, I changed it uh, to 90.9 KCBI, which I feel like is a natural transition from K104. So I go to 90.9, and when I get to 90.9, no joke, there is this like the most gaudy preacher preaching on 90.9. When I say gaudy, like he's using these big words, and like when he says, when he says God, he doesn't just say God, he says God. You, you're like, have you ever heard a preacher like that? Like, and God. And then like when he says a word that ends in an S, like Jesus, or yes, he says like, say yes to Jesus. And he like draws out his S's and he uses words like bestow. And he's preaching out of the King James Version. So I'm thinking, I'm totally gonna listen to this because like Rihanna, gaudy preacher, both tickle my ears. It's gonna be funny the way. So I, turn, I, I keep listening and I'm thinking this is gonna be entertaining. I'll listen for a few minutes. But no joke, like two minutes into this thing, this dude has totally captured my attention. And like after two minutes of listening to this guy, God was totally speaking through him into my heart. And so, I, I mean, I came in obviously not at the beginning of the sermon, and I think there was like 15, 20 minutes left. And, and so I listened to the rest, and at the end, the DJ comes over, uh, comes on, you know, his deep DJ voice, he says, that was from 1970 message from W.A. Criswell. I'm thinking, no wonder he got my attention, because W.A. Criswell is a stinking beast in the pulpit, and I'd never heard him preach before, that's why I didn't recognize him, but that dude is like, in fact, impact, impacted so many people's lives, but he was preaching on the woman at the well. And we studied this before together, about a year and a half ago, but John chapter 4, he's preaching on the woman at the well. And, and I just, I want to give you a little bit of context to what he says here, because this, this drives where we're going tonight. John chapter 4, verse 10, uh, Jesus, he's just encountered this woman at the well. And, and, and he asked the woman to give him something to drink. And then they kind of have this, this, this interaction. And then Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, talking to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then you get to verse 13, and it says, everyone who drinks this water, and as he says this water, he's pointing over here to this well that this lady's about to draw water from. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but, there's that word that changes everything, but whoever drinks the water I give them, Jesus says, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, there's a lot to unpack just from that. But here's the gist. Jesus speaks to this woman. And then Jesus makes an offer to this woman. And this woman, she responds. She receives that offer. She drinks of this well. And when she does, she is immediately changed. And it says that she goes running into town to tell everyone about Jesus. 
Now from here, W.A. Criswell, as he's preaching, he goes on to say, not many of us are like this, though. We don't go running into town telling everybody about Jesus. And he poses the question, why? And here's what he says. He says, most of us, I suppose, are drinking from the wrong well. And, and the reality is, when we encounter Jesus, when we become Christians, there is a sweetness. There is a, a gladness. There's a glory. There's a heavenliness. There's a fullness. And as W.A. Criswell says, there is something of God that is possessed in no other way and achieved in no other avenue. There's no such thing as, as drinking from this well. There's no such thing as encountering Jesus or becoming a Christian and staying the same. It's impossible, like literally impossible. In Revelation 21.5, I mean, I know we're skipping like way far to the end of the Bible here, but Revelation 21.5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne, in other words, God or Jesus, said, Behold, I'm making, you know what he says next? I'm making all things new. Jesus didn't come to make you a better you. And Jesus didn't come to make every day a Friday or like some of these stupid books are writing about. Jesus came to replace the old with the new. Jesus doesn't make things better. He makes things new. And he says, Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17, he says, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, verse 1. God, speaking through Isaiah, says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And you compare that to what he says to the woman at the well, John 4, 13. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What well are you drinking from? What well are you drinking from? Some of you, your lives have not changed. Some of you, your lives have not changed. There's no fullness. There's no gladness. There's no sweetness. There's no joy. There's no heavenliness because you're drinking from the wrong well. And Jesus is speaking to you and he's offering to you right now saying, whoever drinks the water that I give them will not thirst. Tonight I have two big things I want you to hear. And here's the first. You cannot encounter Jesus and stay the same. You cannot encounter Jesus and stay the, and stay the same. We've been saying this, this whole series, so many of us, we treat the gospel like it's something that affects our past and our future, but not our present. But the problem with that is that's impossible. Because you cannot encounter Jesus and stay the same. It is impossible for you to encounter Jesus and it not affect your life right now. I mean, remember everything that, that Paul says about, or said about Jesus last week. We're studying Colossians 1, 15 through 23 last week. Remember all the things that he said. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He says, Jesus is the most important in all creation. He says, Jesus is the creator. He says, Jesus is the one for whom all things were created. He says, Jesus is before all things. Jesus is the glue that holds all things together. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead or the most important in the church. 
Jesus is preeminent in everything. Jesus is God, he says. And in verse 23 through the end there, 20, 20 through 23, he says, Jesus is your Savior. And there's a reason why, why Paul goes into so much detail in describing Jesus. Jesus is the most important in all creation. All things were created by Jesus. All things were created through Jesus. All things were created for Jesus. All things are held together by Jesus. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. And all things are reconciled through Jesus. There's a reason that Paul spends eight verses describing Jesus. And the reason is because so many of the Colossians that he was writing to, they didn't know Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart that the same is true tonight in this room. Many of you, you don't know Jesus. You think you know, but you don't. And I know you don't because it is 100% impossible to know Jesus, to encounter Jesus, to drink from the well of Jesus, and to stay the same. You cannot encounter Jesus and stay the same. And that's not because you're going to be inspired to change when you encounter Jesus. It's because you will be empowered to change when you encounter Jesus. Look at, look at verse 29 again, Colossians 1, 29. Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That last phrase there. He powerfully works within me. That word works, that's a verb, right? 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 Okay, so what kind of verb is it? What tense? Present tense. Present tense. He, Jesus, is powerfully working. Present tense. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. But sadly, you would think that he was dead by the way that we claim to know him, yet we haven't changed. Then you back up to the next word, the word before, powerfully. You know what the Greek word for powerfully is? It's dunamis or dynamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is powerful, but sadly, you would think that he was weak by the way that we claim that we've encountered him, yet we haven't changed. And the fact that so many of you treat the gospel as if it's something that only affects your past and your future, but not your present, reveals that the Jesus that you claim to know is not the real Jesus of the Bible. And the gospel that you claim to hold on to isn't the gospel at all. And more importantly, what it reveals is that many of you are yet to encounter Jesus. Because you cannot encounter Jesus and stay the same. I mean, look at Paul, the dude writing this letter. You look at Paul's life, and when that guy encountered Jesus, it absolutely wrecked shop on his life. Completely changed him. 180 degrees. I mean, he goes from persecutor of Christians to a pastor for Christians. I mean, this wasn't just a makeover. This wasn't just a name change. When you encounter Jesus, you don't just get a makeover. Uh, High school, junior high, summertime, summertime. like, during school, you're never at home during, during daytime television, so you never see it. You, you get home, you watch your shows, Friends was mine, whatever. But, like, summertime, do you know how high school, I remember flipping on the TV when I got up at, like, 11, uh, see what's on TV, and there's crud on TV. Daytime television is the worst. Like, you have two options. Or you, and when I was in junior high and high school, you had two options at this point. It was soap opera or Oprah. And I'll just be honest, I watched a lot of Oprah when I was in junior high and high school in the summertime. 
And, and before Oprah went off the wagon and got all crazy weird with all this religious guru weird stuff, like she always had these shows where, you know, everybody's watching. She's, it's like she's trying to make you cry. So it's like you don't watch Oprah without a box of Kleenex because you're going to cry. She does all these things. She'll give away stuff. She'll, I don't know. Anyways, but one of the things that they would do a lot on Oprah is they would have these shows where they do makeovers. And if you've ever seen one of these makeover shows, they crack me up. Because it's like they find the absolute worst possible picture of the person before the makeover. I mean, it's almost like they, somebody comes into the room, turns on the lights while they're sleeping in the middle of the night, and then like scares them, like, Ugh! and then like, huh, and they go, snap, perfect. We'll use that picture right there. <laughs> I, total side note, uh, one of our life group leaders, I don't know if they're here tonight, uh, the Chadwicks, Lou Chadwick, um, she, uh, the Chadwicks are awesome. Um, but she, she mentors a bunch of our, our girl students, and uh, she was meeting with, I don't know why I'm telling you this, she was meeting at Zara's with one of our girls the other day, and uh, I, I walked behind, the girl saw me, and I was like, you know, don't. And so Lou's so easy to scare. I'm best, don't go scaring her. I don't want her to have a heart attack or anything. But uh, so at Zara's, I, I sneak up behind her, and, uh, and I get right behind her, and I'm like, give me all your money. And she goes, ah! in the middle of Zara's. And like, no joke, in like two seconds, about five Christian dudes are coming over here about to beat me up. Uh, so don't scare a, a woman in Zara's. Uh, but anyway, so like they, they would, they would, you know, it's like, it's almost like they take these pictures, these pre-makeover pictures, and they wake them up, up, up in the middle of the night, scare them, and then take a photo. And it's like, okay, perfect. We're going to use this one. And then all they do, well, then the other funny thing is the people that's going to get the make, or the person that's going to get the makeover, they show up as if they didn't know they were going to be on TV that day. And they're dressing like sweats, and their hair's just like, man, their face is all crooked and stuff. And, and then they take them back, and all they do is they put on makeup or put the makeup on them. You know, they give them a haircut because maybe this person hadn't had a haircut in like two years. They teach them how to like, you know, normal hygiene, just brush your teeth, and it's going to change everything. And they buy them some new clothes, and they get this makeover. They come out, of course they look better than their pre-picture and what they look like dressing sweats on the show. But, but I share that with you because some of you think this is exactly what Jesus does for you. You think Jesus is like this good and wise Dr. Phil-like teacher who teaches you how to act differently and teaches you how to dress differently and teaches you how to talk differently. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible, and that's not the gospel. When you encounter Jesus, you don't just get a makeover. And when you encounter Jesus, you don't just get your name changed either. Uh, this, this, I was, this one year in Africa, I was, I was with this tribe of people. It's kind of remote group, whatever. And it was very normal in the culture. Like when a visitor came and they got to know you after a period of time, and, and if they liked, the, liked you, they would give you a different name. They'd change your name. And so uh, typically they would name you something that was important to them, like somebody that they knew that was important to them. And so I, I was with this one family remote tribe, like, you know, huts and stuff is pretty sweet. And uh, these people really liked me. In fact, they liked me so much, they wanted me to marry their daughter. Uh, and which, in that culture, you don't say no. That's, you just don't say no. So what you say is, next time I come, uh, which is why I haven't been back to this place since. Uh, I will say it would have been a great investment because our, our kids would have been like 6'10 and freakishly athletic uh, and, and good looking too, of course. But um, <laughs> So anyways, they liked me a lot. They wanted me to marry their daughter. And eventually in the trip, they actually, uh, they, they gave me a new name. And the name was Buna Mane. Uh, two words, Buna Mane. I have no idea what it means. Uh, but they gave me this new name. And it's, it's the, it was the name of the chief in their village. It was a respected name. So they named me Buna Mane. But before Jesus, or before Paul met Jesus, before he encountered Jesus, his name was what? Saul. And then after he encountered Jesus, his name changed to Paul, obviously. Well, some of you, some of you say, okay, I used to be an atheist and now I'm a Christian. 
or I used to be this, and now I'm a Christian. And, and for you, the only result of your supposed encounter with Jesus is now you call yourself a Christian. Just a name change. I mean, I mean how does that make you any different than these Pharisees that Jesus rails on in Matthew 23, and he says, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. When you encounter Jesus, you don't just get a makeover. And when you encounter Jesus, you don't just get a name change. When you encounter Jesus, you are made completely new. New. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This isn't just about cosmetics. It's about the core. It's not just about semantics. It's about your soul. Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works where? Within me. You know what the Greek word for within is? It's two letters. Epsilon, new, in. You know what more literal translation of the Greek word in would be into English? In. <laughs> Jesus wants to do something in you. You can change your clothes. You can go to the justice of the peace and you can have your name changed. But you cannot change your heart. Only Jesus can change your heart. And he will change your heart. When you encounter Jesus, he will. Because you cannot encounter Jesus and stay the same. Second thing I want you to hear is this. You cannot encounter Jesus and continue on the same course. You cannot encounter Jesus and continue on the same course. Colossians 1.29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. When you study scripture, it's extremely important that you pay attention to pronouns and you figure out what the pronouns are referring to. Just like last week we saw, it's very important to pay attention to rep repetition of words, like the word all. We saw last week seven times in that one short eight verses. It's important to pay attention to pronouns. And here he says, for this I toil. I know I is a pronoun, but the pronoun this is extremely significant. He says, for this I toil. And in this case, what you have to do is you have to ask the question, what is Paul's this? What was Paul's this? What was it that Paul was toiling for, struggling for? What was it that he was exhausting himself for? What was it that he was agonizing for? And if you back up, you see, verse 28, he says, we proclaim him. Who's him? Jesus. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. You look at Romans 15, 20. He gives more into the detail of what this was. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. You go to Acts chapter 20, verse 24, and he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I mean, it's, it's, it's perfectly clear what Paul's this was. His this was to proclaim Jesus. Or more specifically, it was to travel throughout West Asia and into Europe and preach the gospel everywhere he went and planting churches by training and equipping leaders. So you take that this and you compare that with what his this 
used to be before he encountered Jesus. Compare that to what he used to work so hard for before he encountered Jesus. If you go to Acts 22, Paul is sharing his testimony. And in sharing his testimony, he says this, I'm a Jew. This is verse 3, chapter 22 of Acts. I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Verse 4, I, pers- I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. Talking about Christians. Arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul's this goes from destroying Christianity to passionately and zealously doing everything he can to spread Christianity. There is a 180 degree flip or turn And it all points back to this second thing you have to see tonight. You cannot encounter Jesus and continue on the same course. When you encounter Jesus, you get a new this. And Jesus says, this is what I created you for. This is what I want you to exhaust yourself on the rest of your life. He says, this is why I made you so good at singing. This is why I made you so fearless of being up in front of a group of people. He's saying, this is why I've made you so talented with your hands. This is why I've made you a magnet for kids. This is why I've made you so savvy with numbers. This is why I've made you this way. And so my question is, what is your this? What is it you're working for? What is it that you're exhausting yourself on? And the more important question is, why? Why is whatever that is, you're this? Some of you, your your this has never changed. And if your this has never changed, then you haven't encountered Jesus. Because you cannot encounter Jesus and continue on the same course. When you encounter Jesus, he will change your this. Paul says, for this, I toil and I struggle. And as I was studying this week, I feel like something super challenging jumped off the page to me. And this, this may just not even, you may look at that and be like, whatever, that wasn't that cool. But it's really challenged me in thinking about this. Most, most people think that Paul was born in probably A.D. 5. Um, not 85, A.D., A period, D period, 5. Um, and then most people think that Paul encountered Jesus for the first time on the road to Damascus around A.D. 33. I, I saw as late as A.D. 35. But we'll go with A.D. 33. Now, doing my math here, that would put Paul in his 20s when he encountered Jesus, right? All right? That would put Paul in his 20s when he encountered Jesus. How many of you in this room are in your 20s? Most everybody's raising their hand. Some of you youngins, you'll get there eventually. But Paul was in his 20s when he encountered Jesus. That's, that's about the same age as most of us in this room. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says about Paul and essentially to Paul when Paul first encounters Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 says this. Jesus says, Go, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
Jesus is pretty clear. He says, Paul, this is what I want you to do now. He says, this is what I've created you for. This is what I've gifted you for. And many people think that when Paul's writing Colossians, he wrote it in about A.D. 62. So my math is a little fuzzy, but that's like 29, 30 years later. So now Paul, he's in his late 50s, early 60s. He's writing this letter we know from prison, and we know that he's about to die. So he's, he's at the end of his life, and he's reflecting on how he has just spent the last 30 years of his life. Like what we read here in verses 24 through 29, essentially chapter 2, verse 5, that is Paul sitting back and reflecting on the past 30 years since he encountered Jesus. And I want you to listen to what he says. Starting in verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mercy or mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And then verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. There's two things that pop out to me from what Paul is saying in knowing the context of where he is at in his life. The first is this. Paul describes his calling, or he describes his this, exactly how Jesus had described it to him about 30 years before. I mean, listen to Acts 9.15 again. He says, this man Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And you listen to what Paul says. He says, I have become its servant. And you look, up, you look 23 through 24, he's talking about servant of the gospel, servant of the church, minister of the gospel, minister of the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave, or some of your versions say by the stewardship God gave, or by the plan that God has in its fullness, or gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages, generations, so on. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery. You get to verse 28. We proclaim 30 years later, Paul explains his calling and his this almost exactly how Jesus 30 years before had explained it to him. That's the first thing that catches my eye. The second thing that catches my eye is this. As Paul reflects on the last 30 years of working for and agonizing over and exhausting himself for this, his calling, he responds by rejoicing. Look at verse 1. The beginning of this, as he's reflecting, what does he say? He says, now I rejoice. When you get to the end of your life, you will look back and at some point as you reflect on how you spent however many years that was of your life, you are going to say, for this, 
I worked so hard. Just like Paul says, verse 29, for this I toiled, for this I worked so hard. You were going to say, for this I worked so hard. And in that moment, you're going to have one of two responses. One, you'll look back and you'll say, for this I worked so hard. And you'll look at that and you will rejoice just like Paul. Or you'll say, for this I worked so hard. I exhausted myself over it. And you'll look at it and you'll regret it. You will either rejoice or you will regret it. And I believe with all of my heart that the only way that you will rejoice in that moment is if you have encountered Jesus. Because you cannot encounter Jesus and stay the same. And you cannot encounter Jesus and continue on the same course. And so I told you where we're going to land tonight, and this is exactly where we're going to land. What is your this? What is your this? What is it you are giving yourself to? What is it you're exhausting yourself for? What is it that you're expending all of your energy doing? What is it you're working so hard to gain or so hard to have? For this I toil. For what do you toil? For what do you labor? Money? Comfort? Safety? Security? Love? Acceptance? And that's not an extensive list. Or do you toil for the very thing that Jesus created you to toil for? What is your this? Let's pray.